0: From 1944 to 1945, the 52nd Lowland Division is fighting its way across northwest Europe. The writing is on the wall, but it's also on the page. The Army Education Branch sends a newsletter out to thousands of men, all pulling together, pushing the enemy back. This newsletter is called The Lowlander. Hello, Marin
1: Hello, hello. And once more under the breach, as this week we are going to look at editions of The Lowlander that were sent out between the 15th and 21st of January in 1945.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're just over a third of the way through now. Um, so if you've been in with us from the start, well done. <laughs> if you've just joined us, catch up. Um <laughs> We're looking at what men of the 52nd Loan Division would have been reading and we're digging into the articles that catch your eye. So we'll put bits and pieces of today's article, as all of our articles, up on Twitter so that our one listener out there and what listener land can have a little look too. But before we go on, maybe you should tell us what's happening this week, Marin.
1: Okay, so Hungary declares war on Germany, which feels a bit like an afterthought. Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt gets inaugurated. And then in Germany, Martin Bormann and Eva Braun arrive at the Führerbunker and Hitler starts sacking everybody. He's lost the plot by now. He's just ordered that every commanding officer from division level upwards is supposed to notify him about what they're doing, about all planned movements, so that he can override them if he sees fit. He's just lost it.
0: Yeah, did he ever have the plot?
1: Mm, not in the slightest. Not in the <laughs> slightest. <laughs> but should we find out where the jocks are, please, and what they're up to, where they're going, and uh, basically what's going on with the 52nd Lowland Division?
0: Okay, this is a big week, Marin. so uh, mm-hmm. for you and our one listener out there, make yourself comfortable, make yourself a <laughs> cup of tea. Uh, what we're actually going to do is we're going to talk about what they're going to get up to this week, which is something called Operation Blackcock. Now, I've, I've mentioned this in passing over the last couple of weeks, um, but I thought it was really um, a good opportunity just to just explain some of the order of battle or the orbat of the 52nd before we go any further, because I'm going to be using numbers of regiments and battalions, etc., and it could be quite hard to follow up if you're not really aware of who they are. Is there going to be a test? Um, There will be a test, yes, of course. There's always a test. Um, But more importantly, talking about putting stuff up on Twitter, we'll put the org chart up on Twitter so people can follow it.
1: Ooh, I like an org chart. What I won't
0: do is I won't break down the entire division into its component parts as much as I'd like to do that. Um, But I will just give a little bit of an overview of, of what it looks like. What we're going to focus on is the teeth arms, so the people that are actually doing the fighting in the division. So no offence to the 35th Mobile Laundry and Bath Unit. You're a very important part of the division, but we're not going to be covering you today. (laughs) What we're going to focus on is is the three fighting brigades. So by 1944, 1945, the British Infantry Division more or less always had three infantry brigades. Um, And those brigades each of those brigades had three infantry battalions. Now, battalions are the kind of the base unit for all a division, and, and it, the number of men in there are, are normally between about 600 and 800 men, depending on where it is and how late it is in the war. But but um, the brigades themselves, the three brigades in the 52nd Lowland Division, there's 155 Brigade, 156 Brigade, and 157 Brigade. Are you with me so far, Mary? I'm
1: with you so far. I've got (laughs) questions already, but keep going. Okay,
0: okay, okay. Now, the confusing thing is, in the end of February, March 1945, the component parts of those brigades change, but we're not going to do that yet. We're going to focus on what they are in the second, third week in January. So I'll I'll very quickly run through it. And some of these battalions, you'll have heard me mention already. So in 155 Brigade, that's the Senior Infantry Brigade of the the Division, we have the 79th Battalion, Royal Scots, 4th Battalion, the King's Own Scottish Borders, and the 5th Battalion, the King's Own Scottish Borders. Got it. One Five Six Brigade mm-hmm. is 4th, 5th Battalion, Royal Scots Fusiliers, and we're going to talk more about them in a minute. Six Cameroonians and seven Cameroonians. Got and it. And then in the last or the final infantry brigade, One Five Seven Infantry Brigade, we have 5th Battalion, HLI, 6th Battalion, HLI, and our old friends, 1st Battalion, the Glasgow Highlanders, uh, who are also technically part of the HLI.
1: HLI is Highland Light Infantry, isn't it?
0: That's correct, yeah. yeah. Okay. And yeah, the, yeah. So incidentally, 157 Brigade is a Glasgow Brigade. All of those uh, battalions are from the city of Glasgow. So and the, the other city.
1: two, 155 and 156, are they regional as well to some yeah, extent? Yeah,
0: definitely. So 155 is Lowland and Borders Brigade. So they all come from basically Edinburgh and then all the border regions. So 4th Battalion, KOSB, is from the east of the borders or the east side of the borders, and 5KOSB is the west side of the borders, so Duffer, okay. uh, and Galloway. And 79th Royal Scots, the senior infantry battalion in the division. Um, and, in fact, the Royal Scots were the senior infantry battalion of the British Army. They are almost exclusively from Edinburgh.
2: Got
0: um it. 156th um, Brigade, 4th, 5th Battalion Royal Scots theirs. they're from Ayrshire or around the Ayrshire area. And the Cameronians are a Lanarkshire um, battalion, although they do recruit from other parts of Scotland as well. And as I mentioned, 157 is HLI. Now, I won't go into all the units in the division, but there's one, a couple of little anomalies, or there's one major anomaly. Um, Like most infantry divisions at this stage, they have um, three field regiments of artillery, so that's 25-pounder artillery guns, uh, an anti-tank regiment, so an anti-tank battalion, basically. But also, crucially, at this point of the war, they have an extra... Infantry uh, artillery regiment which is the first mountain regiment and this is unique to the 52nd Lowland Division in northwest Europe because that is a mountain uh, transportable artillery regiment so they have smaller guns they have 3.7 inch mountain howitzers which can be broken down into the component parts and actually carried by the men themselves or mules or whatever vehicles and they were still being used in northwest Europe all the way up until March so that's just one anomaly with the 52nd Law Division compared to other infantry divisions in Northwest Europe, and it has your usual components of Royal Engineers, uh, REMI, field ambulances, um, and and the various other different units.
1: Reconnaissance.
0: The yeah, they've got 52nd Reconnaissance Regiment, um, and they're a major part, although they they're kind of, I mean, maybe we could do a bit more in the reconnaissance regiment one day. Yes, we could. They're actually out there on their own doing their own thing most of the time in their vehicles. And in fact, they came over before the rest of the division and they actually fought during Market Garden as part of 30 Corps.
1: Indeed. Now, quick question, quick question. <laughs> Take yep. a breath. So so my only question is this. We've spoken about the Manchesters several times. Mm. Do they, in your mind's eyes, sit under the heading of, in in that top sort of top echelon of... of, of, of each brigade, or do they sit in the periphery?
0: So they have a regiment or a battalion within the division, it's seven seven Manchester's, and what they do is each of their companies within that machine gun regiment, the Manchester's, will support directly support one of the infantry brigades. So you will have a machine gun detachment from that regiment in your brigade for whatever task you have sometimes they pull it and they have the whole regiment together for a particular operation sometimes they're broken down a little bit smaller but generally speaking you'll have a, a part of the 7th Manchester's directly supporting um, one of the brigades same as the engineers and same as the artillery they will directly support a brigade pretty much for the duration of the war unless it's a special task ok <laughs> ok everybody take a sip of water <laughs> stretch your legs <laughs>
1: i tell you I what, the 79th Armoured Division looks easy compared to this lot. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh God, yeah, that's another thing. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Um, if we've got time, let's talk a little bit about Operation Blackcock. Okay, Operation Blackcock. So Operation Blackcock is the operation for 12 Corps, which is the Corps that the 52nd is fighting under, along with the 7th Armoured Division and the 43rd Wessex Division, with the 8th Armoured Brigade supporting. Now, their task is to clear something called the Roar Triangle. Now, we talked about that a few weeks ago, but just to remind you, it's a triangle of German territory that juts into the Allied line. Roermond is the top of the triangle, Sittard is the bottom left of the triangle, and the city of Gallenkirchen is the bottom right of that triangle. So with op- so far. Yeah, we'll Operation so Blackhawk is... The job of that over the next two weeks is to clear that triangle. What we're going to do is we're not going to go into the full detail now, but as we go through the next couple of weeks, we'll report on it and it will make more sense. But essentially, okay. the operation starts on the 16th of January, so this week,
2: mm-hmm. with
0: the 7th Armoured Division, and then on the 18th of January, then the 52nd Lowland Division gets involved, um, and then the Forty Fourth Wessex. And really, it's effectively over by the 25th of January, um, January, after the capture of Heinsberg, but there's a little bit of clearing up to do for, the, for a few days afterwards.
1: So it's quite intense.
0: I think the crucial thing to remember at this stage is this is the first big conventional combined arms assault that the 52nd Lowland is being involved in. Because if you remember um, back to Wolkeren where we've mentioned it, that was a slightly different, slightly unique amphibious operation, no heavy armour against a, a slightly different type of German defence. This is conventional... Um, combined arms operations in northwest europe and crucially it's in the depths of winter and some of the temperatures over the next week or so are going to get down to nearly minus 10 right. not including wind chill
1: all right well I'm, I'm with you so far simkins let's crack on
0: i think we probably should now don't i think mean? we
1: should all right 15th of january 1945 splendid russian progress in the third day of their great new offensive, Russian troops have continued to pour through the gap torn in the German defences. Their salient has been deepened on an average by 10 to 12 miles, and over 200 places have been added to it. This latest advance has carried Konev's men across the main railway from Kilech to Krakow and to the western bank of the Nida, 40 miles south and southwest of Kielchev. Far to the south, the original arm of what is now a gigantic pincer movement, although one admittedly divided by the Slovak mountains, has had an important success in capturing Lucenek, the Czech-Slovak frontier town. Further south, still two railway stations, 200 blocks of buildings, and 2,500 prisoners fell yesterday to the Russians in Budapest, and for the second day, there is no mention of the German tank columns which were to have relieved the garrison by the 3rd of January or in accordance with a later amendment, the 10th of January. Once again, I am completely inept and have probably pronounced all of those town names wrong.
0: And and this is why every week I'm going to pick something from the Eastern Front.
1: <laughs> That's not fair. You know, I mean, the,
0: the, the, uh, names of towns aside, although Krakow I think most people recognise, the, the numbers in there are staggering, and the amount of miles and locations and uh, just the sheer volume of stuff yeah. that the Russians are going, it's sort of... It uh, um, just, to, just to gives you an it's idea of just the, the scale, which is, I mean, I mean, you think of the scale of the 21st Army Group, which is the British, it's huge, yep. but this just absolutely dwarfs it. Yeah. But hold that thought, Marion, because later on in this episode, we're going to break some of that down into a little bit of detail in another article. Mm-hmm. 15th of January, 1945, nearing Mandalay. The first stage of our reoccupation of Burma appears to be approaching its climax as our troops close in on Mandalay. Two columns are hastening the Jap withdrawal. The more easterly has advanced from Shwebo to within 30 miles of Mandalay. The other, after a 15-mile thrust down the Chinwin, is only 45 miles from its confluence with the Irrawaddy south of the capital. Mandalay endured its heaviest raid yet on Saturday afternoon when liberators dropped 400 tons in 10 minutes. Gosh. So. Just to bring it up to speed, after the major uh, attritional battles at um, Impal and Kahima, Slim or Field Marshal Slim, in charge of the Fourteenth Army, basically turns his army and starts heading into Burma, and they don't stop really all the way through until they get to Rangoon later on in 1945. Mm. And one of the major targets was um, Mandalay, which is a, a major sort of provincial town, and they don't capture that till the 30th of March. But already at this stage, the 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 British Army and the Indian Army, crucially, are are advancing. And in fact, on the 14th of January, um, the first elements of the 19th Indian Division slip across the Arawadi. So they're already nearing it. Uh, It doesn't mention it in the reports, the reports on the the 15th of January. Mm. Uh, And really, it's only a matter of time before that city is taken.
1: Marvellous. Now, I know very little about the Far East, as you well know, but I do know that on the next page, 16th of January, 1945, we've got a roundup of the rest of the world. So, shall we go through that step by step? Yeah, why not? Okay. Number one. Some German prisoners, badly wounded, left Liverpool yesterday on the Arundel Castle on their way home via Lisbon, where another exchange of wounded prisoners is to take place.
0: I'm assuming no. they didn't float the actual Arundel Castle.
1: <laughs> no, it's oh, a ship. bouncy
0: castle. <laughs>
1: it's a ship. Number two, Norwegian paratroops from England have severed the only railway running north from Trondheim by blowing a large bridge. Number three, the snow last week in Britain was the heaviest since the winter of 1940, which is actually quite ironic, bearing in mind that our mountain division is now in Western Europe. Yep. Number four, the first Paris boat train since 1940 left London yesterday. It carried about 100 people, mostly with business with the French government. And five, 21 members of a club in Leicester had a row with the brewers two years ago and decided to make their own beer. Last year's profit was 51,000 pounds.
0: Okay, well, you know we're going to have to now Google what fifty one thousand pounds was. back then. That Sounds like a lot of money. Remember, <laughs> like a right, lot right, of money. Er, very early doors in the lo- in the Lowlander, we talked about a loan for seven thousand pounds. Yeah, That's a lot of bloody money. Um, the, the one that jumps out is the Norwegian Paratroopers. I know you mentioned something uh about it in the intro for last week's episode, episode yep. nine. Um, it says England now. I wonder. Yes. We've got two options here because yes. the Norwegian Commandos Paras special forces were trained in scotland Mm. but we may need to do a bit of digging to find out where they flew from because i live a couple of miles from raf tempsford which where a lot of these sort of guys flew from on their little mission so i think we might have to do some digging
1: indeed clearly we both lost the plot here Not only did we mention this last week, but what with Operation Blackcock on our minds, we should definitely have remembered this was Operation Woodlark, an operation carried out by members of the Norwegian Independent Company No. 1. Also known as the Joostldeva Bridge Sabotage, their mission was to blow up a railway bridge at Snesa. Sadly, six hours after the bridge was destroyed, a military troop train was due along the same piece of track. It derailed, crashed into the river below and killed around 80 people. On a very marginally lighter note, this small footnote does remind us the very first independent company going out to Norway in May 1940 as part of the BEF and comprising 21 officers and 268 other ranks as part of Scissors Force was indeed put together with men of the 52nd Lowland Division.
0: 19th of January 1945 2nd Army Attack Progress in spite of weather It would be hard to imagine worse weather than that in which our troops are fighting north of Sittard. All day yesterday, a biting wind swept across the barren snow-covered fields, and yet all day an infantry plodded methodically forward along tracks torn with deep ruts and in places practically impassable to tanks. As they went, they were cheered by the sight of German villages ahead blazing under fire of artillery. Official reports say the assault, which followed on the previous day's capture of Echt and Susterin, is developing well, if slowly, now. Have you got any idea what we're talking about, Mary?
1: Oh, yes, I have a, I have a huge idea about what we're talking about because I've walked across that field.
0: Yeah, I think we, bo- we both have a few times, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. Um, I should say so this is reporting on the attack from the 18th of January, obviously the report is from the 19th of January, and this is the opening moves of the 52nd Lowland Division as part of Operation Blackcock, and actually specifically what they're talking about in that sense is the assault on the villages of Lind and Stein, which are just north of Sittard, and that's where the lead battalion of the lead brigade of the 52nd started the battle, and that was the 4th 5th Battalion Royal Scots Fusiliers.
1: It's also, also, there's a little map on this page we should explain. Oh, yes. We're looking at the front page of, with the front side of the lowlander for this day. And the top right-hand side there is a very small um, ink map which shows the river mass top to bottom, obviously, and the villages and towns of Ruhrmond, Echt, Susteren, Havert, Hongen, Tudden, Sittard, Geilenkirchen and Heinsberg. And the, the, um, the indicative arrow points exactly, precisely, with or without coordinates, on Lind and Stein. It's
0: funny that, isn't it? It's almost like the people that. in the Lowland are were just a mile or two away from where that was happening. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. that's really quite scary. That's really quite scary because if, if suddenly the what you're being handed in the trench is something that's um, trying to report, well, not in the trench, but you know what I mean, but is is reporting on what's going on around you. That that really does sort of pull things together.
0: Yeah, but it's a great little map, and of course, uh, we're going to talk about this guy later on in the year. But right at the tip of that arrow mm. uh, was where the first and only award of the Victoria Cross to a member of the 52nd in the Second World War happened, um, Well, I'm of course talking about Fusilio Dennis Donini, but we'll talk about that another time.
2: We're waiting for the Prime Minister's plane to arrive and he's coming towards us now, yes? Yes, the plane's coming, and the crowd is cheering, the hats are off as the Prime Minister prepares to descend the gangplank from the flying machine which is the bottom here today from Germany. This morning I have met with the other leaders at the meeting where we agreed on the proposals put forward by all the parties and in my hand I have a piece of paper which they have all signed. There will be a battlefield tour to Germany and the Netherlands in October 2024 the tour will follow in the footsteps of the 52nd Lowland Division and Peter White's Jocks through Germany and the Netherlands. In this piece of paper, we have agreed that other details can be found at walkingwiththejocks.co.uk. We should rejoice at this agreement. God save the King!
1: 19th of January 1945. The Premier surveys the war. A crowded House of Commons yesterday heard Mr Churchill open the two days debate on the war situation. Although suffering from a cold, the Prime Minister spoke for two hours and lacked nothing of his old fire and resolution. In his defence of the government's Greek policy and his denunciation of its critics, he was a great parliamentarian at his parliamentary best. Here are some of the things he said. I'm not going to read all of these out, okay, because we, we've actually got a whole There's a page. Lot. There's a lot. of them. But I'm, I'm going to read a couple, and then I'm going to go, go into Hansard for a second, all right?
0: Well, well it's interesting he mentions Greece before you go on. There's actually lots and lots of stuff in the London about Greece, but it's one of those things that if you start to run with the Greece topic, you have to keep going for it, and it's oh my, very complicated. Oh, my so. goodness
1: me. Yeah, it's, it's worse than Royal Scots, Scots Fusiliers, right. Our war effort. We have now raised the equivalent of 100 divisions, of which 67 are in contact with the enemy in Europe or the Far East. Our losses in France balance those of the USA. In Burma, the 14th Army is reaping its reward, which is even greater than expected. Unconditional surrender. If Germany and Japan surrender now, they will suffer nothing compared with what they will suffer if they wait until 1945. Mm, Interesting point, 1945 versus 1944. And then he says, finally, let us be of good cheer, for victory may be distant, but it is certain. If you go into Hansard to look at this, it is absolutely, if you are a Churchillian of any kind, it is absolutely wonderful. It Bef- is him at his peak.
0: Before we go on, mm-hmm. for the one listener out there, and certainly not me, because I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just explain what Hansard is.
1: Hansard is the documentary record of everything that's spoken in Parliament. Pretty much, more or less, verbatim. Great. Okay, right. So Hansard records everything, and there there are just reams and reams and reams of this stuff. I'll give you an example. This is extemporary. This, this is him on the hoof. He says... I turn from the pink and ochre panorama of Athens and the Piraeus, scintillating with delicious life and plumed by the classic glories and endless miseries and triumphs of its history. I mean, it's, it's like... It's, it's like it's a just,
0: caricature of Churchill.
1: It is absolutely <laughs> wonderful. But the point, the point that I was going to make was... Um, he, he spends quite a bit of time during that speech talking about the way that U.S. troops are perceived against British troops. Okay. He, he says, however, the United States troops have done almost all the fighting and have suffered almost all the losses. They have suffered losses almost equal to those on both sides in the Battle of Gettysburg. Only one British army corps has been engaged in this action. I mean, he's talking about, I think he's talking about the Ardennes. Yeah. Yeah. The Americans have engaged 30 or 40 men for every one we have engaged, and they have lost 60 to 80 men for every one of ours, and this is a point I wish to make. Care must be taken in telling our proud tale not to claim for the British Army an undue share of what is undoubtedly the greatest American battle of the war and will, I believe, be regarded as an ever-famous American victory.
0: Well, you've got to keep the people that are supplying you with food, ammunition, weapons, ships, tanks on site, haven't you?
1: Very definitely.
0: But actually, I think you know he's obviously uh, he he obviously is uh, mm. he's long sort of been a, a sort of supporter and a fan of America, friends with Roosevelt and all the rest of it. And it's quite right that he recognises the American struggle in the Ardennes.
1: Mm. Yeah, Walcrum gets a mention as well. They don't mention oh, this in it? the low. Yeah, they don't, they don't mention this in the Lowlander. A chap called Redvers Pryor. He was a naval man. He took in the Dieppe raid as, yep. a, as a beach master on one of the landing beaches in 42. so he he goes on to, to interject at one point and he says um, the RAF breached the dikes causing the whole center of the island to be flooded a small narrow perimeter was left along which these formidable defenses were sighted our army, said Redvers prior. Mm-hmm. Our army, in their assault, had to attack along this very narrow front against these terrible defences. Within a week, all the resistance in the island had ceased, an amazing feat of arms. The army had achieved the impossible. I it's, thought that was good.
0: It's quite unlikely uh, the Lowlander not to pick up on any mention of anything. <laughs> I, really know, I know, I know. I think we should mention, of course, in the pantheon of terrible um, caricature sketches of people, Yes. Uh, we're going to add Winston Churchill because they've done another one. Whoever the artist was that did Stalin, um, Lloyd, George and uh, Monty, we're now adding uh, Winston Churchill to that. And we'll post that on Twitter as the awful picture, but also <laughs> scarily accurate.
1: He's barely recognisable as Churchill. It looks like some, some wax bust Well, melted.
0: He's got gels, a bald head and a cigar and that's pretty much all you need. <laughs> 20th of January, 1945. Black Friday for the Bosch. From the Baltic to the foothills of the Carpathians, 400 miles of the Eastern Front are now aflame. Both sides agree on the extreme fury of the battle. Led by the largest tank ever, the Stalin, Soviet armour is racing across the Great Plain that is Poland. Far to the rear, Soviet infantry is mopping up isolated German pockets, and overhead, Soviet stormaviks and bombers swoop. Um, now, this article goes on, and thankfully, they've given us five big bullet points about what's actually happening in this massive offensive by the Soviet Union. Better, and than, that,
1: better than that, there's a map.
0: Yes, there's a map, and, and we'll put definitely put this up on Twitter, because they've actually numbered each part of the map where the bullet point corresponds, which is very helpful, um, and it actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Well, with that in mind, and bearing in mind my terrible pronunciation, should we give it a go, one each? Yeah. Okay. okay, number one. In five days, 600 towns and villages have fallen to General Chenykovsky's great new assault on East Prussia. He has driven a wedge 40 miles wide and 20 deep in this historic German citadel, doubling the area he held previously. He's carried his attack to within five miles of Tilsit and 15 of Insterburg, and obviously intends to take the former from the west where it lacks protection of the River Niemen.
0: Number two, from southwest East Prussia is now seriously menaced by Rokosowski's lunge along the Warsaw-Danzig railway. The marshal, by his latest advance, holds eighty miles of the railway. It is only a mile or two from East Prussian frontier and a hundred miles from Danzig.
1: Number three, in the centre. Zhukov has surged on another 30 miles in an unprecedented advance to capture three large towns, each of which stands 80 miles from Warsaw, where his offensive opened. Lodz, the second city of Poland, Kutno, and. Voj. Lecz fell to his first white Russian army group in the course of yesterday's fighting.
0: I only know the name of Voj because um, Portillo did his real journey through there and he did a whole five minutes. yeah, away.
1: yeah, I know. I know. <laughs>
0: Number four, Krakow, which housed a quarter of a million inhabitants before the war and was once the capital of Poland, was Konev's chief prize of the day. The Germans, who had striven to retain it as a pivot for their army's withdrawal, were completely outwitted and overwhelmed by a combined outflanking and frontal attack.
1: And finally, five, the second new offensive aimed along the mountain fringe at the extreme south of Poland. No, that doesn't make sense.
0: The second new offensive aimed along the mountain fringe at the extreme Yeah, it's worded really weirdly isn't okay. it?
1: Okay. Number five. <laughs> the second new offensive is aimed along the mountain fringe at the extreme south of Poland. Commanded by General Petrov, it's driven forward fifty miles on a comparatively narrow front in four days and taken four hundred places. The German excuse for failure in the last war was a stab in the back at home. They're excusing their present failure in Poland by a stab in the back by other European nations. We would respectfully amend that to a kick in the pants. <laughs>
0: wow, well, that's quite a lot going on, isn't it?
1: It is quite a lot.
0: I mean, I I don't know too much about the Soviet Union's war. I mean, I know Stalingrad, Leningrad, yada yada, but this stuff is just relentless. I mean, it really is. the The, the Soviet army and their military terms, and obviously there's some questions about them and their behaviour. Um, is just is unbelievable the 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 ranking up f- over the years into this kind of huge force which cannot operate like this is is, is astonishing.
1: Fifteenth of January nineteen forty five. Our mailbag. bag. Screen goers lament, sir. While I appreciate there may be unsurmountable difficulties but we are a mountain division, might I respectfully suggest that we are getting rather bored with the heavenly body always in our hearts, following the boys higher and higher on the way ahead? Could not these heirlooms, or at least those still in the coffers of the mob cinema, be exchanged with some that are probably having the same effect on the personnel of a neighbouring division? Yours respectfully, RCH. Second letter. More about those Christmas cards. Sir. Reference letter signed some of us. We find ourselves in complete agreement on every point which your correspondent raises. We have witnessed for ourselves the efforts of other divisions, which, we assume, are in a similar position to us and are fighting just as hard. In comparison, ours resembles a memoriam card, less the garnished border. We consider our division as good as any and better than most, so why cannot our Christmas cards be likewise? more of us now this is in reference to (laughs) last week when we when we um trawled into any complaints and we we spoke about um so we read out the 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 article about uh the differences between scotland and england and there was quite a theme going on but the the letter that we didn't read out last week okay is um all about the divisional christmas card And it said, we were stunned at the stone-cold St Andrew's costs staring at us rudely on the outside cover. It's plain and simple, we we thought. Perhaps inside the imagination has taken flight. But no, best wishes in a cold bare space, only different from other years by Christmas 1944. Surely we could have sent a better, brighter and more optimistic card to those on the other side. I think it's really sad that somewhere along the line they they've they've all received a really crap Christmas card.
0: Well, I mean, my takeaway from this is even though you're on the eve of Operation Blackcock, some people have too much time on their hands. I mean, this is this is parochial local newspapers out there worst, isn't it? <laughs> 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 I mean, I have to say, well, we uh, you've seen it as well. I, I've got the Christmas card from the winter of 1940. Drive, yeah. and it's exceptional in fact it's probably the kind of proto um big big map of the 52nd which came with the book mountain flood the history of the yeah, 52nd yeah yeah it's, so it's wonderful probably, it's the same sort of thing it shows the route across europe it's fantastic so i think <laughs> clearly by 1945 the word got around that yeah last year's wasn't good enough <laughs> i mean have been had i mean to be fair though over the christmas period the, the division is settled it is holding the line but actually the head, headquarters and all the rest of it they're not moving anywhere so Maybe the complaints are justified. I'm not so. so sure.
1: I think so. I think so. We'll have to try and track down the Christmas garden from 1944. Yeah, I think that's a
0: little mission for us, isn't it? And finally, we go to this week's Thought for the Day from the 17th of January, 1945. In a fair cause, and for the country's safety, to run upon the cannon's mouth undaunted, to obey their leaders and shun their mutinies, to bear with patience the winter's cold and summer scorching heat are the essential parts that make up a soldier. Philip Massinger. What's it going on about, Marion?
1: So we're going on about Philip Massinger, who was... um, He wasn't really a contemporary of Shakespeare. He sort of followed on afterwards. And in fact, T.S. Eliot wrote an essay about him, and um, he said, Immature poets imitate, mature poets steal. He was quite a fan. Um, Poet, playwright, he wasn't bad. if um, if If you think of Shakespeare as, I don't know... Oh, let me think. Michael McIntyre, Mac- erudite but fast. Then Massinger right. Messenger would be Jimmy Carr. Bit coarse, bit clever, and you sort of take your chances with him.
0: Okay, um, okay.
1: The, now, the, 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 the poem, though, it's yeah. missing the best bit that makes sense of it. Okay. So I'll, I'll read it. It goes, If e'er my son follow the war, tell him it is a school where all the principles tending to honour are taught, if truly followed to dare boldly in a fair cause and for the country's safety, to run upon the cannon's mouth undaunted, to obey their leaders and shun mutinies, to bear with patience the winter's cold and summer's scorching heat are the essential parts make up a soldier. Well,
0: thank you for that. And really, it's just another week where I have absolutely no idea what's (laughs) going One day... One day I'm going to read one of these out, and I'm going to get it straight away.
1: You're lucky you didn't get Demosthenes this week. I could have given you that one.
0: I can't even see it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> on that note, on that note, shall we call it a day for this week at least? I
0: think we should do. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a bumper packed edition. I think we probably all need a rest.
1: Indeed. All right. I'll see you next time.
0: Yeah. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lowlander. The Lowlander was written, produced and presented by Andy Acheson and Meryn Walters. This was a Hellish Good production. Go to the classified football results for the week commencing the 15th of January 1945. Lee Cup North. Accrington 0, Burnley 4. Aston Villa 3, Birmingham 1. Blackburn 7, Blackpool 4. Bradford City 0, Barnsley 1. Bristol City 10, Aberamom 0. Cardiff 4, Bath 2 Chesterfield 1 Leicester 0 Darlington 3 Hartlepool 2 Derby 7 Notts County 0 Grimsby 1 Doncaster 2 Huddersfield 2 Bury 1 Lincoln nil Sheffield United nil Newcastle 2 Gateshead 4 Rochdale, one, Preston North End, one. Sheffield Wednesday, one, Rotherham, four. Stockport, nil, Everton, three. Sunderland, four, Meadowsburg, three. Swansea, four, Lovells, one. Walsall, six, Coventry, five. Wolverhampton Wanderers, six, Chester, one. Wrexham, five, Port Vale, nil. York City 0, Leeds 5. English League South. Brentford 3, Charlton 1. Brighton 3, Arsenal 0. Chelsea 1, Portsmouth 1. Millwall 3, Queen's Park Rangers 3. Reading nil, Luton 3. Southampton 3, Fulham 0. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Crystal Palace 1 Walford nil, Clapton Orient 3 West Ham United 8, Aldershot 1 Scottish League South Clyde 2, Albion 3 Hibs 2, Celtic 4 Queen's Park 2, Morton 1 Rangers 2, Hamilton Academicals nil. Texture played at Coventry, FA-11-4, RAF-6. All other matches other than those mentioned have been postponed due to inclement weather.